the technology continues to blow me away. So this week, <laughs> Bernie is joining us live from Everett, Washington. So actually, it just hit me. So we're literally on opposite coasts. So like, oh, absolutely. unless I lived in Miami, I, I don't think we could be further away. Could not be further away. That plane ride from Atlanta was just under five hours to Seattle. Oh, my gosh. That was rough. Well, wow. at least mine gets broken up a little bit. So I leave Thursday and I um I fly from Charleston to Chicago and then Chicago to to Seattle. So it'll get broken up a little bit, probably two, two and a half, three hour flights. I guess. How long's your uh, how long's your layover? Uh lengthy. So I actually don't get in Thursday night until like eight PM Seattle time. Oh, okay. I think I have like a three or four hour layover in nice. Chicago. Well, yeah, at least so, you, you, so, you won't miss your flight then. Yeah, right. Yeah, unless I fall asleep because I'm <laughs> waiting so long. But yeah, so you and I were just talking about this. So I literally will be, so I'm going to fly in. I'll spend most of Thursday flying. Friday, of course, is the shootout, the fourth shootout in yep. Everett, Washington. And then I leave Saturday morning at like 6.30 a.m. So I'm literally over a 72-hour period going to be in airports and on planes more than I'll actually be on site for the yeah. shootout. That's crazy, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, for all those people that live in the Seattle area, the greater Seattle metro, what's up with Everett? <laughs> what, what, what's what's going on here? This is, uh, I mean, all right, so I'm trying to think of something that can make a correlation to, you know, you've got this really big city in Seattle, and then 30 to 40 minutes outside of Seattle, I mean, this is rural. I mean, it's... Uh, I went and had had a little bite to eat and felt like I, you know, the accents were different, but I felt like I was just in, you know, small town USA. Wow. Doesn't doesn't get any different. Just the accents change. So, I was going to ask you, since you've gone to so many cities now, I don't want to put you on the spot. Early meet Jeff and Bernie question. So, yeah. what what is your favorite city that you've traveled to since COVID? Because wow. that basically began our, our, our nationwide tour, right? So Scottsdale. What's, 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 your and the, what's your, and then what's your least favorite city? Scottsdale's up there. Um, wow. Least favorite. <laughs> Could it be Everett? <laughs> Is there I mean, it's, there? it's in the, it's in the clubhouse doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> Wichita good. wasn't much happening in Wichita. Uh Oh, now, it, now, it, now, it, now, it, now, now, wait a second. You gotta be careful. Cause one of our 10 listeners it's from Wichita, my, I, buddy, look, my, buddy, my buddy Jade. If your buddy seems to think that there's a lot going on in Wichita, then no, he hasn't he traveled much. <laughs> he doesn't. He'd probably agree with us. Well, no, funny, I mean, I, it wasn't. It wasn't anything wrong with the town necessarily. It was just it felt dead. Right. You know what I mean? Like just driving around. I actually drove around into downtown Wichita one day, and I was like, "This town feels like it's asleep." In Wichita. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Everett feels very similar to that. But it's it's gorgeous here, mind you, you know, because I'm not used to the evergreen trees. I'm not used to the Puget Sound. And, you know, it's gorgeous, but it uh, it feels a little odd. That's the best way I can put it. Well, I was out to dinner a couple of nights ago with friends of ours who will remain nameless for this uh, episode (laughs) uh, who work for Boeing. So they were up there. I drove many, by. Many years. Yeah, I they drove were by many, many years. Yeah. And they told they told me, they said, uh, yeah, if you guys are going to want to do anything, 
you're going to have to go to Seattle. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. There's not much going on. Seattle, driving through it, gorgeous, giant city, right? And then yeah. you get a little north of the city, and then off to the right of the highways, the University of Washington, and you can see Husky Stadium and all, like, like that area. Like, I, I want to see all of that, and I want to see Seattle. I'm not so sure I want to see Everett. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah, yeah. Here it is. See a lot of it. Yeah, I heard the venue is really nice, though. Right? Yeah, I have not been in the venue yet, so I'm I'm sure it's awesome. Yeah, I've heard the venue super nice. Yeah. So I loved our venue down in. um, What's your? Well, hold on. What's your favorite, or or and least favorite? Oh gosh. Um, You know what? And I and I love the Sunshine State. I really do. I mean, we like to travel down to Florida, but Winter Haven. Yeah. Uh, not, not a lot going on in winter Haven. I'd, well, I'd say, I'd say with all due respect to, to our, to our fellow Floridians out there. And I know we got a lot of players from Florida yeah. winter Haven was probably my least favorite as far as stuff to do. And again, nothing against the people just, just, yeah. wow. Kind of, kind of, kind of rough as far as stuff to do. Um, favorite. Wow. I mean, it's gotta be Vegas, right? I mean, I, I loved, I loved being in Scottsdale. I, you know, I love Arizona. Yeah. Vegas, but if I had to pick one, Vegas, Vegas. Yeah. I, I wanted, I mean, Vegas is just, it's kind of its own entity, right? It's, it, it's so much of its own place that you can't really compare it to other places. Yeah. That, yeah that, that's why it's an easy, easy pick for me. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, I look, I don't have the money to gamble. And, you know, and let's be honest, if you're not gambling, <laughs> Vegas is just a really hot desert town. Yeah, and so I I don't know I I can I can take or leave Vegas now the, that I've been a few times. Gamble with Stacy. He and I went down to the table and he taught me how to play craps. We we, not, doubled, we doubled look, our money. Look, he's Pretty keeping school, he's keeping school. I don't I don't have the money. He may have the money, and that's fun. I I don't like to watch other people gamble. Well, that, you, you start. That's the great thing with 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 craps. You just start small. You each put in fifty yeah, bucks and, uh, and yeah, see goes. yeah. I'm not a I'm I'm just not a big gambler. I'd rather gamble. I mean, I guess my gambling days are behind me. Nah, I'm, just, well, I'm not very good at it. So, like, why, why knowingly go into something where you know you're going to throw away money? There we go with that defeatist attitude again. What were we just? Yeah, I'm 52 about? years old. I've lived life enough to know things that I'm good at and things I'm not good at. I'm not a 20 year old. Things can change. I. People can change. You, you, you could you, you could be you could become a great gambler. You live in that world all you want. <laughs> I live in reality, and reality has told me in 52 years of life on this planet that I'm just not a very good gambler. I just don't have very good luck. So why why mess with it? Why Apparently why try you to fight nothing it? from our guests last week then? What's that? From Michelle. Trying trying to change our mindset and make us positive. Yeah, positive mindset does not change cards in blackjack. I'm <laughs> sorry, it doesn't. It just doesn't. If you want to believe that it does, cool. It does not. All right. So speaking of age, yeah. Uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. What did yeah, you, you guys do for your birthday? Uh, nothing. Julie and I, we did kind of like a little staycation thing. We got a little hotel room down in the city, and just kind of hung out there at the pool and just kind of, you know. Didn't really want to travel anywhere, you know, didn't really have the the wherewithal to make a big trip out of anything, didn't have the time. So we just did, you know, just a nice fun night at a really nice hotel area in, in Atlanta. So it was fun. Nice. Yeah, it's a good time. Do you like having your birthday? 
Are you, are you one of those people who likes your birthday or you hate your birthday? Let me guess. You probably hate your birthday. Nah, I, it's in, I'm indifferent with it now. I mean, it's, it's cool that I have a birthday, but you know, I'm at, at this age, I mean, kind of celebrating your birthday at 52 is kind of silly. Right. I still, so, I still like it though. I still like, I like, I like my birthday. Like I, I, it, I, makes, no, me, I it makes me, it makes me happy. I, I, I feel like, great. I feel great when I wake up on my birthday. birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I but I don't like, you know, when I was 25, huge day, big party, all kinds right. of fun stuff at 52, you know, psyched. I get to see another year. Right. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm pumped that it's my birthday, but I don't, it's not that big of a deal at this point. I mean, I guess, I guess there's, you know, certain numbers, you know, 40, 50, you know, maybe 55 will be kind of interesting, maybe 60, but you know, they happen, you know, you get to this point, they're happening so often, they kind of lose their, uh, they lose their sting. But I love, I mean, I loved turning 52. It was nice to wake up and it's my birthday. All right. You're ready to get to meet Jeff and Bernie. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Do you have one, by the way? I, I, wh- I feel like I'm always the one who's coming up with these stupid meet Jeff and Bernie questions. Uh, you're better at it than I am probably. And, uh, I, I'm a very interesting person. No, I, I, uh, I do have some, but I, I feel reticent in asking some of them because I don't, I don't want to put you in a bad position. No, I want, I seriously fire away. I mean, I've got, I've got, if you want, I've got a couple, I've got a couple that I can ask, but they're kind of dumb. If you have, if you have something that you really want to ask, I mean, that's, that's what this time is for, right? Right. I mean, we've got our, our, our guest coming up. Um, we're going to talk a lot of cornhole. So I think that's why we haven't yeah. started out with any cornhole yet. We're going to talk a lot of cornhole with this guy coming up, but, um, well, all right, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go right off of what you were just saying. Uh Oh, all right. Do you really believe that your positive mindset can change things like cards? Um, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think I meant, I don't think I meant that your mindset's going to change the cards, but I think your mindset of not being able to learn something new and become a gambler and have fun at it is what is. I what know I was... how to, I know how to play the games and gamble. I just know over years and years and years what my luck has been. I also know what the odds are in certain games. So why Perhaps. do you think you have, why do you think you have bad luck then? I don't know. So what's I mean, crazy? Blackjack, blackjack, for example, is not set in your favor either way. If you play blackjack, it's a law of large numbers game. If you play blackjack out to a million hands, you're going to lose more than 50%. That's the way the game's set up. Yeah. Um, I get that. Perhaps is the only game that's actually set up in the player's favor. So, all right, so let me ask you this. So what is the difference between thinking that a mindset could and positive energy could help you versus just bad luck. I, I think, I think, I think one is fool's gold, but isn't bad, but you don't, you don't have any real stats with bad luck. I mean, you, you may say you have bad luck, but why, but where does that bad luck come from? I don't know. That's what I mean. So what's the difference between just having bad luck or just having a positive mindset? Aren't they both I just mean, in your mind? You know, it's 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 the age old, you know, saying. I mean, you know what what a pessimist is, right? It's an optimist with experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I think that there's I think that you should have a positive outlook about certain things in life. But, you know, certain things that you can't control, having a positive outlook's great, but I think in some respects it sets you up for more heartache than good than than you would normally have. 
Because right. if, if you're thinking everything's going to be positive, 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 and then it never works out for you, you're just setting yourself up for more and more heartbreak. I'm, I'm a realist. I am. I'm, I'm an absolute tell. realist. I'm, I'm an absolute realist. I mean, I don't get broken up about things when they go wrong because one of the unfortunate things about life is things go wrong. Right. And, and to believe blindly that they're not going to, I think does, does want a disservice. That's just my opinion. And, now, I, don't, and I don't think you can, I don't think you can believe in bad luck, but you can't believe in the power of positive thought. There's some validity to that statement. I know. That's why I said it. But I don't know, man. Have you ever been around me playing blackjack? <laughs> no, because you won't play. I've played. I, Actually, I, don't, I, don't, play, I don't have the money to play, play long, Jeff. To play. I don't <laughs> have your money. I don't have Stacy's money. I can't sit there and play for hours at a time. So I'm there. I don't have the ability to take losses and losses and losses to then win money. Because it's a game that's simply built on the law of large numbers. That's all yeah. it is. And so Crap, you have to fun though. Craps, you could you could sit there and play small amounts, small yeah. hands, and really not be up or down by more than. Yeah, I mean, craps is the only game in Vegas that, if you look at the total, the total odds is actually over fifty percent in the players' favor. The only game. Yeah. And that's why people love it. I, I, I just happen to like blackjack because it's fun. I try to count cards, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, that's a that's a forty-seven percent winner on its best. You just have to know when to when to bet, right? You're going to lose, right? You're going to probably lose more than you win. It's just when you get on a streak, are you ga- are you betting enough to take advantage of that streak, right? That's that's blackjack. Are you ready to bounce the subject off of our guest? Oh, I, I'm sure Anthony's got it all figured out mathematically. I know, I, this, this, I, this but because of that, transition. I bet Anthony doesn't gamble much. I don't know. We'll find out. Because he is a numbers person because they're not in your favor. They're not building new casinos out there every year because they're giving money away. Yeah. Oh, I know. I get it. All right. We ready? We're ready to to bring this guy in. Let's do it. Let's bring, bring in the professor. All right. He is now back in the green room. So our guest this week, he's a fellow. I had to write all this stuff down, by the way, (laughs) fellow ESPN cornhole broadcaster. um, Host of the extremely popular cornhole science YouTube channel. He's known as Bernie just said as the professor for his incredible analysis and breakdown of the throwing mechanics strategy. I mean, really everything with the sport of cornhole, as well as his innovative and brilliant processing of a whole new language of really cornhole metrics. I mean, r- really, I mean, he and Trey are becoming like the sabermetricians of of cornhole, right? Yeah. On top of all that, he works as a full-time mechanical engineer. He's an outstanding father and husband of of course, we might have to check in with Danielle on that husband part. Uh, he's an ACL pro, former state champion in the state of Colorado, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but welcome to Borderline for the first time. Wow. Not my fault, by the way. Not my fault. <laughs> Anthony Ione. What's up, brother? Oh, look Yo. at him. Look Guys. at him. Green. He's green screened out. Look at that. No, that's, like- that's, that's actually my, uh, my lab. <laughs> Bernie, that's actually the lab. <laughs> It's a nine foot by sixteen foot decal. Oh, okay. I like it. Of Rock Hill. I, like it. I yeah. like it. All right, Anthony, let's dive right into this because we're gonna run out of time. So so first things first, in in what just turned out to be just a debacle of a meet Jeff and Bernie segment. <laughs> we were talking about bad luck versus versus the power of the mind and, and positivity. 
So I, I would, I mean, we'll, we'll get a little bit into your story and your personal life because you are an incredible story of, of success and perseverance and survival, really. Um, how, how important is the, is the power of a positive mind for you? And do you believe in that stuff? Well, I want to start out by saying that entry was awesome, man. You have a really good way of making people seem way better than they really are. That was awesome. Thank you for that. I'm used to it. I have to sell myself all the time. <laughs> that is good stuff. Um, so how is a positive mind? You, will you just uh, rephrase that real quick? Do, I mean, do you do you feel like you, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you do. I mean, do you have a positive mind? Oh, yeah. Positive mind for sure. Um I I didn't hear all of your uh, the intro to the show. I, I kind of been running out of work and then jumped into this thing. I was out of breath, by the way. You're, you're like running you down know. here, <laughs> hustling. Uh, grabbed it. I was like a lot of breath, a little nervous. Um, yes, positive mind. I I think I think like uh, Michelle Thompson would be one to say that that's uh, really important. But I'm maybe more of a a numbers guy, a realist. You know where. <laughs> um, that could, I don't know. I, I feel that that plays more of a factor than a positive mind. Um, if okay, you will, so you're in Bernie's Why are you not in your head, Bernie. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think a positive mindset is absolutely wonderful, but it's not going to change certain things from happening. It's just not. And okay, I think, that... and I, and I think at times, if you're not being realistic about situations, having a, just a, 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 a starry eyed positive mindset can make things hurt worse than they actually should. And, I and feel that. Just, just my and, opinion. And I, on the other hand, I, I do feel like there is something to positivity. And and Bernie, I've told this story before. Yeah. But but I, you know, I contrary to popular belief, I, I don't make a lot of money in broadcasting. If you're Jim Nance <laughs> or you're Joe Buck or something like that, yeah. Yes, those guys make a crap load of money, right? For the rest of us out there who are toiling around in the Sun Belt, you know, calling mid-major sports for ESPN and and in cornhole, as much as I love it and as much exposure as we get, it's not like I've got a seven-figure deal or even a six-figure deal. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what that's why I have to work in real estate on the side to make some extra money. So I don't make a ton of money. So so I I went I went through this class about the power of positive thinking and daily affirmations. And one of the exercises that we did, and this was this was a year ago. So this would have been 2021. So one of the things was uh, this this was in January where I took this class. And you're supposed to write 25 times what your goal is. It can be a financial goal. It can be a personal goal. Um, it can be a goal about fatherhood, whatever. So I decided to pick a financial goal and I just picked out a number. And that's what the, that's what the, the, uh, the person who was teaching the class told us, pick out a number and, and, and don't make it realistic. Like make this number higher than you think you can actually achieve. Like, don't like if, you know, if you make $70,000 a year, don't put $500,000 a year, right. but still put a big number down. So I put a larger number down than I thought I was going to. And I wrote this down 25, 26, 27 times, whatever it is, every single day. You're supposed to do it all year. I did it for about three and a half, four months, maybe maybe five months total. Every day. Every day. That's, that's pretty good. Three every months. Day. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I, did, I did it every day for about for about two and a half to three months. and then And then I did it about four or five times a week, probably for another month or two after that. And then I just got too busy. And and stopped. But damn it, Anthony, if I didn't hit that number right on the damn dot. Could could that really? have something, for could that have something to do with your talent more than a positive mindset? Well, maybe it makes you want to work harder. Maybe maybe it's a lot of things, but it started with my mind. And when you start every day writing that, all of a sudden it gets you into okay, what do I have to do to get that number? 
You know, maybe I've got to reach out to another client. Maybe I got to stay in flow with this person. Hey, I haven't talked to this person in a while. Maybe I need to talk to this person. Maybe I need to call Stacy. Maybe I need to talk to Trey. You know, maybe I mean it, it gets you into that into that into that mindset of how am I going to hit this number? And I'm telling you, I freaking hit it. I actually wow. probably went over a little bit, but I but I hit it. All right, so I think you figured out the uh, the secret. Then I'm going to go to the cornhole science page. I'm going to delete everything, <laughs> and I'm going to write 25 times a day, 10.8. Yeah. PPR. PPR. Yeah. But in there, in there, Jeff even stated, I mean, what you're doing is you're just working harder. Now, if that positive mindset that you're writing down is making you work harder, great. But all you're really doing is working harder. I, I, I'm just saying sometimes this thought, this thought process of just having a positive glowing outlook on life. I don't know if like in Anthony, I think Anthony will kind of back me up and kind of back you up. Anthony's going to look at numbers. And he's going to look at how numbers work and what are the odds of something happening in your favor. And if you do it this way X amount of times, what's the result going to be? Right. I mean, I, I, I think there's real validity in that. And Jeff, a lot of what you're saying is, well, you're talking about ways of working harder and smarter. Is that necessarily having a positive outlook on life or is that just working harder? I think it's I think it's start it's starting the day with a positive mindset. I, I think I think right. it works. I think it works hand in hand. All right. So speak, speaking of stats, so Anthony, again, one of the, one of the terrible things about this show is that there are many times where we just run way too short. So let's just, let's just <laughs> since we're talking about stats, for those who don't know, and one of the great things about this show, Anthony, is that I mean we're really getting a lot of positive feedback from from people who aren't necessarily cornhole experts and cornhole aficionados. But I wanted to have you on because like like and and I I feel like I bring him into the show all the time. He's never been on. He should be a guest. But my buddy Jade, I use him I use him as an example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he gets listened, talked he about listened. more than anybody on this show. Jay, nope. what's up? You, yeah. you, you, you get talked about more than anyone. Period. But, he, but he's our fan, though, Anthony. He's, he's our everyday he, guy. He is right? our, he's our fan. Yeah, I mean, he's our everyday guy who watches the shootouts. He watches some of the nationals. He doesn't watch every single thing. He watches some of the replays. But, you know, and he plays a, a little bit, you know, backyard kind of stuff with his family. But, you know, I mean, he's not, he's not, he's not a, a you know, cornhole expert, like I said. But, but so why I wanted to bring you on is, there are, there are so many metrics now with the stats that we're talking about on our broadcast. I mean, PPR, DPR, four bagger percentage, um, your, your opponent's PPR, the bin number, the bond number, the boff number. And I know that's not, I know it's bags in bags <laughs> off and, and, and bags, uh, bags in the whole bags on and bags off. But I mean, there's so many stats now. I mean, th this is, th this has got to be fun for guys like you and Trey to really you know, I mean, you guys really are being innovative with the sport and coming up with stats like they did in baseball to kind of revolutionize the way that we look at it. So what, what are the most important stats as, as an outsider that you think um, are important to keep an eye on when you're like watching these broadcasts? Is it, is it PPR points per round? Is it something else? Wins and losses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we get so wrapped up into the stats, right? And yeah, I am excited about the stats. If you actually go before when we were just starting to go on ESPN, all the stats that you're seeing run, I was actually running those 
manually locally at our local club mile high cornhole so <laughs> now it's so easy you go into a bracket you click on a button and all the stats <laughs> pop up for you so uh it's it's definitely cool to see the evolution but you know we, we do battle with the stats right is it is it is it the offensive stats you want to look at is it the defensive stats you want to look at and it's probably the same thing with with any any sport maybe like football is a good example you know do you build a team around an offensive strategy or a defensive strategy but at the end of the day Wins and losses. We go round and round on this thing. What's the best stat? We're still trying to figure it out what the best stat is. But ultimately, did you win or did you lose is really the stat. So outside of that, what's your favorite stat? I would say uh, DPR. So DPR, for those that don't know, difference per round. It's really a measure of how much more you score than your opponent. So it, it's kind of a two-part stat, right? It's I scored this many and my opponent scored this many. So it's really the difference between the two. It's not a purely offensive stat or a purely defensive stat. So we see players approach it differently. You know, they will play a defensive game to kind of start around to limit the amount of points that their opponent will, will score and then strike with some e offensive style uh, play to score somehow later in the round. So I, I'm a fan of the DPR or difference per round. All right. I, I got one for you, Anthony. I, I, I've been saving this since I knew you were coming on. I have to do this. Hit me. When you work with Jeff, Jeff's a professional, right? Jeff is remarkably good at his job. He's very professional. He's going to lead you to places that allow you to be Anthony, right? Allow you to be the professor. Yes. When you work with me, you know, that there's going to be times that I'm trying to get you off of Cornhole and you won't do it. It's amazing. It's amazing to work with you because I'll try to get you to talk about the sun outside. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. He's got a 10.8 PPR going up against. And then like, you just, you won't do it. And it's absolutely awesome to do because I, I literally, every person I work with just for fun, I'll throw something in the middle of a match to try to throw someone off because I'm kind of a jerk. You literally won't fall for it. And it's awesome. It, so it, it, with, it's awesome. So with with that mindset also comes planning. I'm a very planny person. So <laughs> I came into the last national expecting you to do that. You kind of showed me the first couple nationals. You're throwing me these curveballs. So I was like, All right, I got to plan for this curveball. So I went back and looked at the uh, at the footage of our last national. And did you really? I, uh, yes, I did I put a really strong effort into letting letting the conversation go other places. Eventually, I would rally back, but I thought I did a much better job, Bernie. I'd have to ask you. Look, what you no, no one gets to brackets faster than Anthony I own as soon as I ask a crazy question. So, Anthony, what do you think about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you'll be like, well, tell you what, in bracket B. Facts, <laughs> <laughs> man. I'm, I'm trying to get better at that. I'm trying to get better no, at that. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I actually enjoy it. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I like working with you. I like working with Kat. I like working with so many people that are so wrapped up in the cornhole, right? It's, they want to talk about every bag that's being thrown. I might not want to talk about every bag that's being thrown, but see, that's why it's fun for you to work with Jeff because Jeff is the consummate professional consummate point guard as a play-by-play -play guy. Cause he's going to, he's going to make a move on his guy, break him down off the dribble and then feed you for the three. I mean, that's essentially what he's doing. I, I love it when you make me feel like an athlete. I absolutely love that. Cause that just has never happened to me in my life. 
<laughs> and that's why I think you guys are so critical is, you know, you, if you let someone like me, maybe a color guy who's really analytical go, you, you don't speak to everybody. You don't speak to the common people. And I think you guys do a really good job of, of pulling it back and really addressing all of the fans and making sure that we're, we're speaking to everybody and not just, you know, diehard Cornhole people. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we talked, we talked a little bit about PPR for those who don't know, that's points per round. And again, I mean, sometimes in these tournaments we have, and Trey talks about it in the open, we have these insane PPRs of like a 10.8, right? Which means, and again, for those who don't know, when you put one in the hole, it's three points. When it's on the board, it's one point. So obviously the highest point total you can have in a round is, is 12. So again, if you have a 10.8 PPR, that means if you throw three bags in the hole, and just one on the board, that's a 10. And your PPR would go down, Going even down. though that's a fantastic PPR. So that's what PPR is. DPR, I like what you were saying, a differential per round. So, you know, how how you know how are you doing? I guess, does that bring a little bit of the defense into it then, if you, if you like to block? I mean, is that what that, that stuff is? It for? does, absolutely. You're basically taking your score minus your opponent's score. So where you were using te- uh, numbers of like 10.8, a good DPR in the pro division is a one, which means I'm throwing a nine, my opponent's throwing an eight, or my opponent's throwing a 10, I'm throwing a nine. So you're scoring one point per round on average more than your opponent one is really really high and yeah you, you achieve that through a defensive strategy in, in some cases who who leads in dpr right now anthony yeah the lead and you know it won't necessarily be the people that you think um who's leading it right now i'm not 100 percent sure i want to say like a mark richards is really high up there but yeah. you would think these people that can throw really high scores all the time would be high like a matt guy not the case because when you're leaving an an undefended hole if you will People, pros, these are pro players. They're able to keep up with you for some, for, you know, for right. at some level. So it's throwing those defensive plays in there where you really see the DPRs blow up a little bit. All right. Another one of my favorite stats outside of some of the minutia on some of those. Um, and this is something that, that, that fans can relate to four bagger percentage, because I get it. The block game is very important and, and critical for winning. However, Hitting the four baggers in is what a lot of people talk about, right? So, give us some numbers on four bagger percentage. Like, I think I, I think Matt Guy is number one, right? By far, isn't he at like 55 percent or something like that? Yeah, you're right in there. Your top four bagger percentage are going to throw a four bagger at least every other round. So, on average, half of the time, more than half of the time, and you're right, right around mid fifties. You're putting every bag in the hole, which is absolutely Jeez. it's kind of bonkers when you think about it. And keep in mind, you're playing pro level players who are trying to prevent you from doing right. that with a defensive right. strategy. Yeah. So sometimes you have to do these complex shots. You're not just sliding it in the hole. You got to step out, go around over the top. And even within that environment, players are still able to average more than a 50 percent four bagger percentage. It's wow. Right. So Matt Guy at 55 percent, 57 percent. Yeah. That means that 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 fifty seven percent of his rounds that he's playing are four baggers, all four in the hole, all that's four a, in the hole, and insane. there's very few two hundred and fifty six pros in the division. Very few of those people are going to try and go hole for hole with a Matt guy, yeah. which means they're coming in with a defensive mi- uh, mindset. So the fact that he can still lead the league like that with every player trying to defend the hole is it, it's even more bonkers. It's crazy. 
All right. I've got to go to it. Jeff, Jeff kind of teased it there for a second and, and he's right. And I hate to agree with him, but I'm, I'm starting to kind of come to his side on this for the average sports fan that's flipping through catches us on ESPN, CBS, and they're watching cornhole. I think he's right on this. I think they prefer to see hole for hole game, right? They, they don't really understand the defensive game. It makes no sense to them because they don't play it that way. To them, the average player that plays at a bar or plays in their friend's backyard, you're trying to get in the hole every time. They don't understand why the block is there. To them, it's a miss. And then when people start sh- shooting airmails, which they're only making 50, 60, 65% of the time, it looks bad. Where do you fall on that? Do you I- like the hole for hole game or do you like – do you like the strategic block instead of block? Like Eric, Eric Davis, for example, first bag block every time, right? Like, do you think he should maybe someone like that should maybe, you know, switch it up every now and then don't block every time, but be strategic when you go after points. And, and ju- and ju- just to clarify real quick. I, I think, I think the questions really should be, should be two part every time we ask this. Yeah. What, what, you know, what is your, what, what is your preferred way of playing versus what do you think is best for TV? It's a good way to put it. Okay, so preferred way is the first piece of that question for me. Sure. Um, so currently, uh, so as a part of cornhole science, I I see my job as learning all facets of the game. Before January of this year, I was a one hundred percent defensive strategy first, then strike. So I was all about DPR. I was all about defense, then score. At the beginning of the year, and I had never thrown a fast bag consistently. Sure, I'd I'd pick up a fast bag and a blind draw with someone, play here and there, but I was all about a slow bag, what we call a carpet bag, a defensive strategy. At the beginning of the year, it's like, I got to learn this fast side of the game because the game is trending that way. We're seeing a lot of fast bags coming into it, and I, I, I'm realizing there's a whole different element and strategy to the game when you're going fast. So starting January of this year, I started throwing a fast bag only. So right now my strategy is 100% offense, um, <laughs> but it's not fair only because I'm trying to learn the game. Hole for hole, all offensive strategy to me is nine night time. I mean, it is it is boring. Like good night, I'm out of here. Um, really, you you don't like watching when 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 you get like an Alex Hicks against a Matt guy, and and. And Matt Guy hits 50 bags in a row and loses because Alex Hicks hit like 55 in a row. You don't like that? Absolutely not. Here, here's actually how it works. I'll be kind of sitting back in my chair on the right, 27th fine, bag fine, in a row. Fine, fine. The minute the block is thrown, the minute the block is thrown, here's me. Oh, we got a block. What are we gonna do here? <laughs> now I'm interested. But but to Jeff's point, what do you think the average sports fan would like? I, I, I think I totally agree with what Jeff is saying. You know, you go to the average fan and they're going to be interested in that. Uh, just kind of, you know, those streaks, you know, it's yeah. like look at these streaks. They, they can make sense of streaks. They can't make sense of the chess game yet happening on the board because it is much higher IQ of, of what's happening at a chess level. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I do. Th- I do think this is a credit to all of us. I, I think it's credit to to and I would say it to Trey, too, if he was here. I mean, it's a credit to you, Anthony. It's a credit to, to you, Bernie to Wally, to, you know, the people who broadcast behind the scenes, doing the live streaming to Trey, to me, to, to David Harris, our producer, I mean, to all of us, because I feel like this year we're doing a better job of explaining to the fans why. 
And and this brings me to another one of your stats. Something that we've really relied on is the level of blocks, a level one block, a level two block. So I think we've been we've been trying to talk about the strategy of blocking. And the fact that you came up with this is so simple and so brilliant. A level one block for those who are listening who don't know is when you put the bag right in front of the hole. And basically, Anthony, I, well, I should just shut the hell up and let you explain it because basically, I think you can fit six bags down the board from the hole to the end of the board. So, it, so I'll just let you describe what what the different levels of block are and why each one is is more important and why you would use different different levels of blocks. Yeah, sure. Like you said, it, it's base, it, it's three feet from the hole to the bottom of the board and each bag is six inches. So you can fit exactly six bags there. So each bag position would be a level. Now, as a strategic cornhole player, based on where that level would be, like if I'm right on the hole at the bag position one or two bags away from the hole or three bags away from the hole, your shot selection changes. So your strategy would change, how far you step out changes, um, slick bag versus stick bag, you're making completely different decisions. And that's why I'm glad I switched to a slick style game because I'm learning at different levels. I'm doing different things than I would do if I had a carpet bag in my hand. So it it really does play into decision-making. And for those listening and not necessarily watching, it really does a good job of, of having them kind of visualize the board. You know, if you're calling a football game and you're like, you know, they're on the 40 yard line and they got this set up, you know, at the 30, at the 25, someone could envision kind of what's happening. Um, and if you, when you talk about a, he just put down a level three lane side block, I can visually picture what's going on. And in my mind, I'm like, Ooh, here's what he should be doing from a shot selection standpoint. So it's really good for people maybe driving or listening to games uh, as well uh, to kind of describe it that way. All right. To that point, do you think anyone intentionally throws level three or lower? Level three or lower is an accident. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, at the perfect, and you know, at a comp level or lower, that is a winning strategy. At the pro level, you put a level through basically a block too far away from the hole. Yeah. You are now putting yourself at a disadvantage for that, your opponent to put four bags in the hole and you're not able to go get that block and get it in the hole and collector push. Is is a level? I, I've had this conversation with with a few players. Uh, actually, it was in Fort Worth. Is a level two block? I mean, I know level one is what we see most. That's going to be the block right in front of the hole. Is a level two block starting to maybe make its way into the game a little bit more because you can get in the way of your opponent a little bit more, but yet you can still collect it. Or is level one still always going to be the way to go? So I love a level two block when you're playing against someone who is a dirty bagger. Because typically people who roll, they're going to be landing around that level two area to try and roll over stuff. Someone like a Matt guy who's going to be chasing the hole, I need to be able to go get that bag at the end uh, in order to keep up with him. So I want that block a little bit closer to the hole. And with these slick bags, I mean, if you're off just a little bit, it, it kind of deflex if you will a little bit easier away from the hole so level one for us going playing against a slick bag player i like level two maybe a little lower for 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 a dirty bag player just because you're in their landing zone to roll yeah interesting i I love i love the talk of of the block so so again that's what we've been trying to do that anthony and and using your levels of blocks to kind of 
you know, baby step people into the defensive side of cornhole. And, and, and I, I think, I think it's starting to hit home with people about how in cornhole, that's what makes it unique, you know, other than other niche sports, you can play yep. some defense. So, I mean, I, I, I really appreciate what, what you've done with that. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Stay with the stats. This is one that Trey spent a ton of time during the off season, putting this together. And we've been making a huge deal of this on the broadcast. I kind of want to get your thoughts on how meaningful you think this is, because it seems like this has got some traction as well. All-time career titles. I yes. mean, we are having so much fun keeping track of this. So, so again, for those you know who are new to the sport, maybe new to the podcast, um, Cornhole has its majors. We call them nationals. There's the world championships, but then you have your shootouts. Then you also have basically your PGA Tour events, which is your open events. And so Trey went back and uh, through the history of the sport, which, again, is, is fairly young, what, five years or so, and we looked at all-time career titles. So, so, you know, in golf, they have Jack, you know, we know that we know that Sam Snead had 82 wins. I think Tiger tied him, you know, NASCAR, you have your all time career, uh, wins leaders. So in, in cornhole, we found out that Matt guy is the all time. He's the Jack Nicholas of cornhole, right? So he has 18 career titles and 11 nationals. So like 11 majors right behind him is Jamie Graham. Jamie now has 16 career titles. Yeah. And then Trey Birchfield right behind him has 12. So, I mean, is, is this, is this, do you think that this traction is going to continue? I mean, do you think there's that we're going to start to see rivalry between some of these players on this all time wins list? I think so. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of other people building up some, uh, some of those wins. Um, yeah. You know, the, the field in the pro division is getting so deep and we're starting to see a, not, a lot of new faces emerge deep into these tournaments. So four years ago, you see the same faces over and over and over again. Now yep. we're just so deep. We're getting a lot of new presence. And I, I think you're going to see some other numbers start creeping up. And then we have players coming out at the, you know, the age of 12 years old that are already top players in the world. So they've got a little extra time to build up some of those numbers. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of that. Speaking, speaking of 12-year-olds. Because yes. I know, I know he's if not your favorite player to watch, one of your two or three favorite player to watch, Alex Hicks. Does he does puberty affect his game in a massively negative way? Yeah. So uh, I've thought about this in quite a bit. Trey and I have talked about it quite a bit, and I keep going back. So I have a twelve year old at home who is in the highest level of basketball. You could be at 12 years old. So he's on the Under Armour circuit. We're traveling. He plays at the highest competitive level you could at a 12-year-old. And watching these kids develop from pre-puberty to post-puberty, they're maintaining, you know, let's say like a three-pointer at a high percentage rate with minimal impact on that. So I'm having a hard time getting that out of my mind when I'm thinking like an Alex Hicks. You know, even though they're you know, at the basketball level, the arms growing, the, the, the body's growing, they're getting stronger. There's all these variables changing all at the same time. Right. You don't see a dip in free throw percentage, three point percentage, or any of those kind of things. So I, I I'm kind of led to believe that no, it will not affect it will not even affect. though but I mean when you watch Alex play, he's the only player with a two step throw. <laughs> yeah. And that's gonna go away when he gets bigger. He's not gonna have the room to do two steps. I mean, to me, is he going to become a bad player? No, that's not what I'm saying. But does he go from being one of the six or seven best players in the world to a top 25 player? I don't think so. And I, I think the transition from a two-step to, uh, you know, like a Jimmy Humans one-step is a week of working on it. So, right. yeah, I, I, I see that transition. Being, I don't see him going from a step, a two-step to a no-step. 
but I see him transitioning from a two-step to a one-step in maintaining that level of play. Alex, you've been jinxed by the professor. <laughs> that kid is nasty. I, I think I, I think it's I I think before we started talking about the two step stuff I I think it was more interesting really Bernie what you brought up psychologically and oh, I yeah. think that I think that's a great comparison Anthony because I think that's kind of what Bernie was alluding to is as he gets older and he gets more self aware maybe even self conscious and and maybe starts to you know feel the attention that he's getting is Girls, that going to is, yeah so many other things is that going to negatively affect him but I I think it's interesting. The point that you're coming from that you're saying maybe not because these kids are so consumed in this world and 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 it's part of their everyday life that it's it's just such a natural progression that maybe maybe they don't feel that maybe they don't feel the stress maybe they don't they don't you know maybe that's not a negative because it's their life i could definitely see the uh the the 15 16 year old age of uh, what's going on in your life at that age if i just put myself back there like a lot <laughs> yeah. of distractions going on man a that's lot what of we're talking about and, ha yes. and having your own money as a 15 16 year old walking around like hey i'm on tv every week i'm alex <laughs> <laughs> i see that affecting it way more than growth through puberty but yeah that that, that could be a factor anthony we uh we only have five minutes left brother um you sent Bernie and I a a Facebook message this week that is probably one of the most powerful messages um, I've ever read on certainly on Facebook. Um, I had no idea of your background um, from alcoholism in your family, abuse, adoption, poverty, cancer survival, uh, suicide. Um, you know, I, unfortunately again with the limited time left that we have we're not going to possibly be able to dive in all of this but i think one of the most powerful lines was the last thing you wrote to us and you said shit i've never written this down before this is pretty messed up yeah i mean i, I guess as we wrap things up you know we talk to players about this all the time everyone has a journey everyone has a story um i was shocked when you wrote this and and, and i so am looking forward to having you on again so we can dive into this but um you know just like we talked to the players and like we talk about on the show sometimes, have, have you, have you never processed everything that you've overcome in your life? I mean, were you processing it for the first time when you wrote that to us this week? I thought I had processed it. And then that was kind of a weird realization for me, you know, when, when we were preparing for the show, um, and I know you guys kind of, you know, you go deep on the show, which I think is great, you know, kind of getting outside of the, the game and kind of into more of the, the, uh, the life side of some of these, uh, players in the game. So, um, yeah, writing just just writing down those few bullets and kind of thinking through it, I was like, "Man, that 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 sounds bad. Like that does not sound good." But this when is you not live normal. It, when you live it, you know, and you you overcome the challenges of your childhood and you make it to where you are at as an adult, hanging out with you know Jeff McGarriger on TV, like things you would never dream of. You know, it was like wow, that was pretty bad when you kind of reflect on it that way. So yeah, it, it was a moment for me where it was like, wow, maybe I haven't processed that the right way. Bernie, you've talked about it with your past, you know, yeah. even though, even though, even though the incident with your father took place when you were what, nine years old, it's, it, it stayed with you your whole life. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think one of, and maybe Anthony will appreciate this. I've, I've always said that, uh, you know, the phrase time heals all wounds is nonsense. Time heals absolutely nothing, but what it does is it gives you perspective. 
the more time you have between you and these incidents gives you greater perspective on what that incident is and what it's done to your life. So, I mean, I, you know, reading through that stuff, I, what you find as you get through life is everyone, I mean, there's a reason why there's, you know, it's, it, everyone has a cross to bear and it's all relative, right? I mean, what Anthony went through is what Anthony went through. He knows what that feels like. What you went through, Jeff, is what you've gone through, and you only know what that feels like. Same for me. I, I think sometimes people can get lost when they try to compare themselves to other people. Does that make totally sense? Agree. Like, oh, man, I had it so bad. They don't know what it's like. I mean, it's all relative. If you've, if you've yeah. been through nothing but good things, then a beast thing is going to be awful, right? But, you know, yeah, if you've no, been through agree. some really traumatic situations, then a bad flight's not going to bother you. Does that make sense? I mean, like it's 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 all relative. And so for Anthony to kind of put that down in words, I, I thought, like you said, Jeff, I thought it was really powerful to read. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Bernie. That That's a good way to put it. I, I agree. And so like someone like my wife, who grew, we grew up on opposite sides of the track, you know, I was, you know, poverty and she grew up pretty wealthy in, in a very wealthy family. And she's going through just you know money isn't everything and you know she's going through those her own things just like you were saying and it's relative to what's in your environment you can't say that my life was worse my upbringing was worse than hers when you know yes she had money but money isn't everything right you're going to be going through some of those challenges as well so yeah i like the way you put that that makes complete sense hey we've only got about a minute minute and a half left here but i, I think the most important thing and i think that's something that's kind of come out in this show bernie and i totally agree with you i mean i i, I really kind of turned a corner in my life about 10 years ago um stopping comparing my life to other people who i know even to some of my friends because my journey is just different than everybody else's um but i think the most important thing with this show that we're learning anthony is that um you're not alone right bernie you're not alone I'm not alone. Like all, all of us, you know, 256 pros. When we show up this weekend in Seattle and there's all these pros, we all have a journey and none of us are alone. And I, and I think that's really what we're learning from this podcast. Love it. Hi, right, brother. But aren't we alone though, Jeff? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Don't go negative. Don't. <laughs> to some extent, yes. At the Stop end of the day, you're alone. <laughs> we, we, we were just having a moment and now you screwed up the whole thing. All right, we got to go anyway. Hey, Anthony, seriously, we'd love to have you back on. We'll dive into that. But uh, seriously, I appreciate everything you've done for the sport. Love working with you on the broadcast. You are so extremely intelligent and uh, and look forward to working with you again. We'll see you. I guess we'll see you out there this weekend. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. Take it All easy. Right, All right, Anthony. Right we'll see you later, man. All right. That that guy, is, his, his He's story. He's so good. He's so good. We got five seconds. We got to go. His story of survival yeah. and perseverance is Maybe second to none of anything we've heard on this show. So we'll dive yeah. into that some other time. All right, brother. Uh, glad you made out there safely. I'll see you this weekend. I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Bye, everybody.